Christ. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and oxen and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, Take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples recalled the words of Scripture, Zeal for your house will consume me. At this, the Jews answered and said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, The temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, And they came to believe the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. While he was in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, many began to believe in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus would not trust himself to them because he knew them all and did not need anyone to testify about human nature. He himself understood it well. The Gospel of the Lord. St. John writes, He did not need anyone to testify about human nature. He himself understood it well. It reminded me of recently I was talking to somebody and they said, Father, I'm just trying to be a good human being, but it's really hard sometimes. I'm trying to be a good human, but it's really hard sometimes. And that's true. Sometimes it is hard to be a good human. And a lot of what we do is is trying to be a good human. Like a lot of times our Lenten sacrifices are about being a good human. I have a friend, a priest friend, and, uh, and every time we do things that normal people do, we say, well, I'm doing that because human beings do that. Like I went to, I went grocery shopping today because human beings do that. No, because sometimes, in, <coughs> excuse me, sometimes in our life as priests, uh, we don't have to do a lot of those normal things that normal people do, like go shopping, call your mom, take your trash out, like all those kind of things. 
And in the first reading, we have the Ten Commandments as they're given to Moses. And they're given because sometimes it's hard to be a good human. And, and we really shouldn't need to have the Ten Commandments. Like, they should be kind of obvious to us, right? It should be obvious that you shouldn't kill, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't be jealous of other people. And yet, the Lord gives these commandments very directly and does so because we all have this problem called concupiscence or original sin. And, and concupiscence is you know, a weakness in our soul, right? an inclination to sin. We could also call it a forgetting disease, right? a forgetting disease, because we tend to forget you know, that we said we weren't going to do those things anymore. You know, anyone who has the experience of going to confession over and over and over again for the same sin... It's because we forget. Like, oh yeah, I forgot that I wasn't going to do that anymore. I forgot that that was an occasion of sin for me. And so the Lord gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. And and the Ten Commandments also have this order to them that's really important. The first three commandments have to do with our relationship with God. and, And most fundamentally, that we have no God but God. That we have no God besides God. That we don't carve idols. We don't worship anything other than him. That he always is the most important thing in our life. And the most important thing in our life is surrendering our heart to him. And once we've surrendered our heart to him, it becomes easier to remember not to take his name in vain and to keep holy the Sabbath day. We keep holy the Sabbath day because we've surrendered our heart to him. And then the commandments 4 through 10 all have to do with our neighbor, starting with the most important neighbor, our father and mother, our family members. And then we won't, we shouldn't kill, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, etc. And the order of those things matters. The order is fundamental. One of my friends who is in 12-step recovery, like he often talks about how like the 12 steps are ordered in a particular way. The first three steps of the 12 steps also have to do with our relationship with God. I admit I'm powerless over this sin or I'm powerless over this addiction. I believe that God can deliver me from it and I surrender my life to him. The first three are about God. And then four, five, six, seven are about ourselves and putting our own life in order. In a really human way, we make a list of all of our wrongs, of all our character defects. We ask God to remove them. And then steps 8 and 9, 10, 11, 12 have to do with our neighbor. And first and foremost, reconciling relationships that have been broken. And then carrying that message forth and and assisting others who are still enslaved. 
And the order matters. We can't like, jump into the end if we haven't done what's at the beginning. And so it goes also with the Ten Commandments that the, the most important one to get right is the Lord is our God and he alone. And that our heart is transformed in him. And that's really what our Lord is getting at in the gospel reading when he cleanses the temple. He cleanses the temple because he wants people's hearts to be in order. And the practice in the temple area had evolved over time. And and so the law states that people have to go and make sacrifice at the temple at least once a year. And they were meant to bring animals from their flocks to go sacrifice at the temple. But that became really impractical for them. And so we want to make things as practical as possible and to help as many people as we can. So they started just selling animals at the temple area. So you would basically go to the temple and instead of bringing your own doves, you'd go buy doves and take those in and sacrifice them. And and it was just meant to make things easier for people. It's kind of like when we use like e-tithing, right? Like it's just it's just like an easier way and it was a more practical way. But there's also a temptation that that people's hearts became more focused on the business transactions than that act of surrender, that act of sacrifice. More concerned about that. And then the, the people there, they would, they would sell them animals or sacrificial animals that weren't worthy of sacrifice, that didn't meet the, the specifications in the law. And oftentimes they would extort people. And so our Lord is filled with zeal and drives them out of the temple and says, stop making my father's house a marketplace. As if to say you're a distraction to them. And his disciples recall those words, zeal for your house will consume me. And house is one of those interesting words in Hebrew, which has to do with the entire family. So the house of David refers to the people that are members of that house, much like we would say, like, I have zeal for the church, which extends far beyond zeal for the physical building and zeal for the particular souls that are here. And our Lord's zeal for them is that their hearts be converted, that, that most fundamentally their hearts belong to the Lord. And it's a good reminder to us, especially during this Lenten season, because sometimes we can be tempted to just focus on, like, what am I doing? And am I meeting those goals? Am I meeting those thresholds? Am I checking things off my list? We can be more focused on that than whether or not our heart belongs to our Lord. And that's really the most important thing. It's the most important thing. And it's the thing we always have to return to. Is my heart transformed? Is the Lord my God? Or is the news network my God? Is the Lord my God? Or is the political system my God? Is the Lord my God? Or is my job my God? Where do I go when I need him? 
when I need anything? Do I remember that he is my refuge, my stronghold, and my strength? Do I remember that? You know, and as things are beginning to open up and, and it's really beautiful, like we had a 70 degree day today, which I was super grateful for after the 24 below day a few weeks ago. And last Monday we had the altar rail installed here and which is very beautiful and, and I'm really excited about that too. And... Um, and I want to talk about that a little bit, uh, because mostly because I have a friend who came up to me and they said, oh, Father, now that that's in, that'll just be one more thing for the people to be upset about. Right? And some of you are laughing because you kind of know that's true. So if that comes up, just please don't get upset about it. And there's all kinds of explanations that we'll hear. So tonight we're not going to use it for distribution of communion like in a traditional way. Eventually we may do that, but the priest and I haven't had a chance to talk about that yet and, and how we want to do that. Also, um, it is still this strange time that we are, we are, we're all sharing, this strange time where there's not, um, where we're waiting for a pastor to be appointed in June. And, and so... We don't want to do anything that would get ahead of where that person might want to go. Um, but, but I do want to say, like, on a personal note, like, I just, like, I love this parish, and, and I love saying Mass here. And for me, like, when, when I offer Mass here, like, it, it helps me to remember that fundamental thing of where does my heart belong. And, and it's my experience. It might not be everybody's experience, but it's my experience. You know, and so, like, when, when I was on retreat a couple summers ago, I was praying a lot with the prayer of Jesus and, and just, like, Jesus' own prayer. And so my spiritual director basically said, like, you need to te- ask our Lord to teach you, right, how to pray like our Lord prayed. And so when Jesus prays, he always goes, like, up a mountain to pray, to be alone with the Father. And, and so, like, one of my meditations was basically, like, like, I was there and I could see our Lord in front of me. And he kind of grabbed me and he said, like, come, let me show you how to be alone with my father. And in my prayer, we kind of just, like, went up the mountain. And, and it was this really overwhelming sense of God's love and presence. And so, like, even the way that, that the sanctuary is designed at every I go to the high altar and I climb those three steps. It's, it reminds me that it's a time for me to go and be alone with the Father. That there's something that I'm supposed to be receiving there. It's a reminder that I need to be in the Father's gaze all the time. And, and so when elevating the host and looking up, and, and you just kind of look up the tiers of the high altar too, you get to the image of the Father and the ceiling. And it's a reminder of that. Right? Like the architecture doesn't make it happen, but the architecture reminds me of an experience that, that I'm supposed to have every single day, and, and it can help to not get distracted by other things. 
And there's lots of like spiritual explanations that about like using the altar rail and, and like one of the explanations people would give of the altar rail, which I really don't like, is when they say like, well, the, that was there in the past to separate the priest from the people. And, and I just don't like that because, because I think that, you know, the priest's relationship with the people has a lot more to do what happens outside of Mass than inside of Mass. You know, it has a lot more to do with, like, how much time are we willing to give outside of Mass. And, and another explanation that I've heard is that, that it's sort of like an extension of the altar. And so, like, as people come forward, even, like, back in the 1950s when they would write articles, they would talk about coming up to the banquet table, in a sense, as a place of encounter. Another explanation is that it, it, it's, it's a physical demarcation because our churches are set up to remind us that we're on this journey towards heaven. So, like, if you go to an Orthodox church, oftentimes what happens is that the art and architecture from the back of the church to the front of the church slowly goes from the world into heaven. And that there's something really powerful that's happening here every time Mass is offered and the Holy Spirit comes down, makes Christ present, and then Christ goes to you. Which is an amazing reality. And then there's a matter that's just simply practical, and I think a lot of the things that we do are just practical. And, and it's just a more efficient way of distributing communion in the long run. Like when people come forward and they kneel at the altar rail, that gives them more time to prepare to receive. Once they receive, they don't have to worry about getting out of the next person's way right away. And then everybody kind of goes back. In Europe, it's common to not like have any kind of organization during communion. So people just kind of get up at random times from wherever they're sitting in the church and they come forward. But it doesn't matter because it's more ordered on this side as the communion is distributed. And that's a reason I really like because I walk with lots of people who aren't able to receive the Eucharist. And, and I'll, oftentimes I'll say something like, Father, it's just like the worst part of Mass for me is when it's my turn to get up and go to communion, but I don't get up and go to communion. And there's a way of distributing communion using an altar rail that kind of takes that emphasis away. And I kind of like that example as well. But that one's just a really practical one. You know, a lot of things in our churches are just practical. One time when I was in Rome, we were in a basilica, and there's an ambo like this, but it's in the center of the basilica. And the altar's like way at the end, but the ambo's like in the middle. And somebody said, why is it in the middle? Is that because like, like when, when, when the word is proclaimed, it's among the people, and then the priest has to go back? And I said, no, it's because they didn't have microphones. And so they put the ambo in the middle of the church because there's no microphone. Like, it's just a practical thing. Right? It's just a practical thing. And, um, and so, so I just, like, just offer that for reflection. And, but all of that is to say that all of those explanations, like, they range in their level of beauty. And, and you might hear explanations that are really, really, really beautiful. Um, but the most important thing is where is your heart? Right? The most important thing is, where's your heart? And, and I think that we can spend a lot of time debating about practices that are optional, like practices, and not enough time sharing where our heart is. 
You know, like, what if every time somebody complained about something that was happening in the parish, like, our response was, where's your heart right now? Like, how's your relationship with Jesus right now? Uh, that's really uncomfortable. Let's complain about something else. Right, but that's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. And what would the world be like if everybody's most important thing was that? If everybody had zeal for your house, it would be an amazing world. Right? It would be an amazing community and people would want to come here because the most important thing is our heart. Because they find that same zeal that invigorated Jesus as he cleansed the temple among each member of the parish and, and that zeal which is for personal conversion, surrender, joy, peace, kindness. If all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit were active, you'd change the world. And so today let us pray that as we continue this Lenten journey that that we remember that our Lord is zealous for our own hearts. That we continue to strive to remove every obstacle. That we may completely surrender our life to him. And be completely transformed in his grace, his love, and his mercy. And that that foundation of the love of God in our heart bear fruit in love for our families, our spouses, our parish, our love for the entire world.